You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America. Your host for GI Insights is Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of Chicago Medical School, Dr. David T. Rubin. We know more about how to treat chronic hepatitis C than ever before, and as the volume of patients who suffer from this chronic condition increases in our busy practices, one of the challenges that specialist hepatologists and gastroenterologists are facing is making ends meet. It's been proposed that seeing a large volume of these patients in a relatively poorly paid office visit setting may be a money-losing proposition. However, we've learned from our expert visitor today, Dr. Intiaz Alam, that this may not be the case at all, and we should really rethink how to run our practices efficiently. Dr. Alum is a gastroenterologist, hepatologist, and medical director of the Austin Hepatitis Center. He's also acting chief of gastroenterology and hepatology at the Brackenridge Hospital in Austin, Texas. Welcome to ReachMD, Dr. Alum. Thank you. Tell me a little bit more about the volume of patients that physicians are seeing with hepatitis C. How serious is this problem? This problem is very serious. There are, I said, about approximately 4 million people infected with this virus yet maybe 50% of patients don't actually know they have it. In terms of new incidences, as compared to, say, 20 years ago, we're seeing less new cases. But what we're now seeing is the downstream complications of hepatitis C, be it chronic liver disease or cirrhosis. So it's important or imperative that we start dealing with their problems now and try and treat hep C now rather than waiting and seeing their disease progress. So who treats hepatitis C? Is it just hepatologists, or are there a larger group of patients or providers out there that can help? Basically, anybody can treat hepatitis C, but I would suggest if you are a patient infected with hepatitis C that you go and see somebody who's treated enough to get experience. Generally speaking, and you will see them in the academic center as both gastroenterologists and hepatologists, and then in the prior practice arena, they're principally gastroenterologists. Now, there are some physicians in prior practice who focus on hepatology, who've had some specific training in hepatology, and may, and may enjoy looking after hepatitis C patients. So in the opening segment, I mentioned that this has been considered to be a potentially money-losing proposition, managing all these patients in practice. Can you elaborate on that? What is that belief? Well, I think that that's a false perception because of the feeling among gastroenterologists that the way to make increased revenue is to do procedures and to own an endoscopy center, and that is certainly true. However, I think as a well-oiled gastroenterology program or practice, you can still increase more. You can increase your revenue by still bringing these patients in and treating them in an effective, efficient manner, which involves a number of things, changes in your practice, including incorporating a mid-level provider. So I can imagine that some of the listeners who aren't hepatologists, and that's probably the majority of the audience, are thinking about their own practices. So when I read your paper, Making Ends Meet as a Practicing Hepatologist, I actually thought that this could apply broadly to all of our colleagues and other specialties. So what are some of the suggestions you have to make your practice more efficient? In any practice that deals with chronic disease management, I think in the future, you're going to see the important, increasingly important role of the middle of a provider in terms of dealing with the daily problems of these patients in terms of phone calls, prescription management, and so on. So the addition of a middle of a provider is the foundation of any successful chronic disease management. Second to the, after that is appropriate billing or coding. The reason why a lot of physicians feel they don't bring enough revenue in is because they simply fail to code appropriately to the level of work that they do on these very tough cases. 
And the reason why that is because they're not specifically trained in coding appropriately or they're being misinformed. And it's very, very important as physicians, as doctors, because ultimately this is a business of providing health care, that you go to meetings and learn how to code appropriately or read books on coding. And I would say that 50% of loss of income is because of wrong coding. Well, and it's not just about income, right? Because if you're undercoding, it's as fraudulent to Medicare as overbilling, right? Absolutely. If you undercode purposely to try and protect yourself from being under the radar, they say, so you won't get audited, that's right. But Medicare says that's fraud as well. So appropriate coding is the key. And the problem is that most physicians just generally undercode to protect themselves. And that's how they lose income is if you get the work done, you do the work. And the, the third key thing is good documentation. And that's where physicians fail. They fail to document the work that was done. They do the work every day, but they simply don't take the time and effort that's necessary to document your work. So it's very, very important that if you code at a higher level, that you document appropriately to the work that was done. So you sound like you're an efficiency expert. How about busy, busy practice? How do you make sure you're documenting properly? Do you use forms or templates, or do you have an electronic medical record system? What do you recommend? All those above. I think you, you need to develop a system that you feel comfortable with. If you are an automated practice then a voice-activated dictation system or an EMR linked with it that may also give you the coding at the end of your dictation is a perfectly good example. If you are a paper-pen person, then develop templates that are written down and so the patient fills these forms out at every visit in terms of review system form, for example, which is necessary in the higher level of, say, level 4, level 5 coding that will bring you increased revenue. Get the patient to fill those out before you see the patient so you save time. And then you incorporate that in your dictation or in your chart to show that you actually made the effort in asking these questions. Now, what you also mentioned in your paper was making sure that you submit your bills on time in a short period of time and that you collect them on time. So how do people do that? Well, the first thing is when you have the initial encounter at the front desk, you better make sure that you collect all your co-pays up front before you see the patient. Because some patients see you and then they leave the office and either fed up with you or they don't like you or they forget to pay the copay and it's hard to get the money. So collect all the copays up front is the first thing. Second thing is that once the patient's seen, then hopefully you're going to send out electronic billing or some paper billing in a short period of time because increasingly insurance companies are only allowing you maybe 60 or 90 days to bill within the office visit. If you bill after that, then you've lost income. So an investment in an office manager and their appropriate training is certainly important. It's key. You generate revenue by your work, but your staff essentially collect the money. It actually sounds, though, that that also provides better patient care. You know, on the surface, you say, well, pay before the doctor sees you. But the reality is that this is all part of providing more efficient care and allowing the doctor the time necessary to actually make the important treatment decisions and help you with your problems, right? Absolutely. It's important the doctor understand the, the basic mechanics of finances in their office, that they're in charge of that. But ultimately, you hire people who do their job and you allow them to do their job. And so it gives you time to spend with the patient to deal with the medical issues that you need to do. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. David Rubin, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Imtia Zalam, who's an expert at efficiency and management of a hepatology practice. So let's talk a little bit about what to do once the patient's in the office with you. How can you make the most of your time and do you have your nurse spend more time with them or a mid-level provider? What do you do then? The way we set it up in our office is that the initial visit of any consultation, be it referral or self-referral, is done by the physician. The reason why it, should be, it needs to be done by the physician is because all subsequent visits 
with the mid-level provider is then secondary to what the physician has decided or recommended. So when the billing is done, it's based upon the physician rate rather than the middle of provider rate. And in some states, the middle of provider rate may be 80% of the physician rate, so you're losing income if the, if the patient is only seen by the middle of a provider. That's the first thing. So the initial visit should always be done by the physician and maybe a second visit where the therapy is decided upon and a treatment plan is arranged. Then after that, the visits should be done by the middle of provider that allows the physician to spend more time in seeing new patients. Your revenue stream is higher with the new patients than it is with return visits. So the, all new patients should be seen by the, the primary physician and return visits should be seen by the middle of provider. Within the therapy protocol, you should develop your own protocol in terms of frequency of visits that are you, you're comfortable with in terms of laboratory testing. And then you tell that patient in advance exactly when the visits are going to be, and then there may be additional visits based upon lab test changes. I've found the same in my practice. It's, it's really important to communicate to patients how things are going to run so that when they do come back to see a mid-level provider or they're going to see your nurse for a check, they don't expect something that they're not going to receive. And I think that that makes it a lot smoother for everybody, certainly letting them know that you're still available if they need you. I tell them up front that the next visit is going to be a so-called initiation visit to start the interferon therapy for hep C. During that visit, my middle provider gives them an algorithm that lays out exactly when their visits are going to be, which blood tests are going to be done, and when it needs to be done, so they know in advance. In addition, the staff also know because then when the patient comes in, the patient says, I've done so many weeks of therapy, this is what the blood test needs to be done. Now, hepatitis C and chronic liver disease are conditions in which there's a lot of downstream ordering, labs, radiologic procedures, surgeries. Is there a role for some negotiation with an affiliated hospital or other providers to pay back for that kind of referral basis? Probably tough to do, but in terms of blood testing, we don't have it in our institution, but some practices do their own blood testing, like a CBC machine. That may be some revenue there. For example, the cirrhotic patients, we have a technology called a capsule endoscopy, which they swallow a pill which has a camera inside it, which competes with the traditional endoscopy. So that can be done in the office, and then you bill for the professional fee in addition to the facility fee as well. And that's efficient for the office, plus it's also safe for the patient. So we've incorporated that for our cirrhotic patients that need for varices screening. And then down the road, there's going to be a new x-ray machine called a fibro scan about to be approved. You can do a scan and it shows you the degree of fibrosis that the cirrhotic patient may have or the hep C patient may have. So bringing some things in-house actually is more efficient and probably more cost-effective. Absolutely. So you have to look at other revenue streams. So one of the other points that you made that I thought was really interesting was applying for research or pharma money, and so in other words, developing other streams of revenue. Can you elaborate on that? In any practice, if you're busy enough hepatology practice or hepatitis C practice, you're looking at advancing science as well. And that's where you can, you can partner with the pharmaceutical company in bringing research to the office. And this is, again, where the middle of provider can play an essential role in terms of being the coordinator for the study. And if it's a phase one or phase up to phase three study, the revenue stream can be fairly large depending upon how long the study is, how many patients you incorporate into the study. I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Mtia Zalam, who is the acting chief of gastroenterology and hepatology at the Brackenridge Hospital in Austin, Texas. And I really appreciate your time and, and summary of these important points. Thank you very much. You have been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America. For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com 
and use promo code AGA.